This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. serves out wide. It's a miss in and it's done. The biggest title of his career. Fabio Fanini is smiling from ear to ear. He becomes the first Italian to win a Masters title since the series began and he rises to a career high number 12 and he's done it in straight sets. No form to speak of coming into this tournament. Fabio Fanini is a Masters champion. He's the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters winner for 2019 and he's done it in an hour and 38 minutes and straight sets, 6364. Fabio, you've done it. You're, it's a first Masters 1000 title and you're the first Italian to win in Monte Carlo since Nicola Pietrandoli 51 years ago. How special is this today? Tough and early to say something. <laughs> I can still believe it. I mean, uh, I really don't know. I mean, really, really happy. Uh, nothing to say. I have to keep calm and maybe take a shower. Relax and thinking about uh, about that because it's, it's something incredible. I word on Dusan as well. Obviously, it was a terrific final. He's had a fantastic week. You had to be at your best to beat him there today as well, didn't you? Yeah, I know. I was knowing that I was preparing the match as best he can because he, my, he is my ex-coach, and I was knowing that uh, it's gonna be really tough. A lot of running and uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but uh, incredible achievement. I'm really, really happy. It looks like your body's taken a bit of a beating over the last week or so, but how much confidence do you take now when you look forward to the rest of the European clay swing? Well, right now I'm really tired, of course, because I run a lot during the whole week. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I, I would like to, be, to have two, three days off because it's first master. Thousand for me beating Rafa in the semi. It's very, I mean, a lot of good player and final. It's always really tough to play. Nothing to say. I'd like to, to enjoy with my family tonight and that's all. Fabulous Fabio, winner in Monte Carlo, winner of a Masters 1000 and new career high. Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Gigi Salmon alongside Barry Cowan, looking back on what a week in the Principality. Barry Cowan, we have just sat through and thoroughly enjoyed the final. It wasn't a final that anyone predicted. If they said they did, they were lying. But what a final it turned out to be and what a win for Fabio Fanini. Remarkable story, isn't it? Uh, and for Fanini, he's put everyone through it this week. Everyone connected closely to him. He was down and out a couple of times against Rublev, against Choric. But the way he was able to compose himself yesterday in that brilliant victory against Nadal and then today having to deal with all the pressures first Masters final looking to the the biggest title of your career and but I thought it was really smart play from Fanini actually when you look back at the match there weren't many golden moments for Fanini it was his discipline that really shone bright today. I thought excellent performance. Livich played his part. 
but the extra little class from Fernini, I think, was the difference. It's interesting. We were chatting afterwards about making predictions, and if you ran through stats and bits and pieces, you wouldn't pick him. But you made a great point that when it comes to Fabio Fernini, it's not necessarily the fact that he was own four and clay coming into this. He'd only won four matches this year because Fernini is is someone a little bit different than that. He is always one of those players. I mean, he's one of my favourite players, uh, like my feast. And sometimes those players can frustrate, but they will also get you on the edge of your seat. And you, when we have fun, don't we, with the predictions? I mean, it's a near impossible job. I fluffed my lines in Indian Wells and Miami, but I decided to go for Fanini because he, he is one of those few players that I felt, forget the form, because sometimes with him it is irrelevant as it's shown, but he can all of a sudden trouble the very best and, and, and have some big wins. They don't like playing. Nadal doesn't like playing him. That's shown by the victories he's had against Rafa on hard, the US Open. For the only time that Nadal's ever lost a match in a Grand Slam, having been up two sets to love. He's beaten him twice on clay. Now he's beaten him three times because he's unpredictable. He can hit winners from anywhere on the court. But I guess now for Fanini, is he able to regroup? Is he able to go back to get back to work and put in another stellar week? Can I think I, he can. Can I add in here my congratulations to you on the predictions competition? Because when he beats Rafa Nadal, a, a lot of people went out of this competition having gone for Nadal yeah. to claim title number 12. Yourself and, and Brian and our Brian Clark and Arvin Palmer also had for me. Is there anything you would like to say, a little speech you would like to give? Because maybe you will top the leaderboard for every more and win all the Masters. This might just be your only win. Uh, I yeah, don't know. I'd like to thank my family. Lovely. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone connected to me because they, they really have had to put up with me the last few weeks when I've seen myself slip down the leaderboard. It was time <laughs> to regroup, think about strategy. And yeah, I'd just like to thank the whole team because without my team, I wouldn't be able to be in this position. And I know that I'm, I'm sort of ecstatic at the moment. But do you know what <laughs> happens in this game? You get knocked down. You get knocked down. <laughs> So in Madrid, <laughs> any of our listeners... Barry comes bottom. Any of our listeners, don't follow Barry Cowan. Because if you do, for sure you'll be at the bottom. You can go to the ATP Tour Facebook page, join ATP Tour fans, and you can have your say, or you can add ATP tennis. I think I know the secret of your success. This came to light during the final. I'm still slightly in shock by it. But Indian Wells, you didn't do very well, was that? No, I made a big error in Indian Wells because I picked my players without looking at the draw. <laughs> Anybody listening, please don't Not do that. Not advisable. Please don't do that. And how did you do in Miami? Not great. Okay, so you know what the reason is. Yeah. I, I know. I know why. I mean, your family played a massive part yeah. in this. It's coffee, because you told <laughs> me that around Indian Wells and Miami, and, and they are long days at this tournament, and you have night sessions at a tournament. You were drinking up to ten cups of coffee a day, which I, I'm someone that doesn't drink coffee, so I can't comprehend one cup. Ten cups. I, I didn't notice a change in you, but that's. That just seems excessive, but you said you, you came to a decision. I don't I'm more know. dedicated now to, the, to, the, to what I'm doing, to You're my more profession. dedicated to the predictions competition. Yeah. You decided enough was enough. You're now down to two cups of coffee yes. a day. Yeah. That's it. You're feeling okay? Yeah. I'm no shaking? Okay. No, no, you're able to focus and you win the predictions. But uh, as my wife will know, and as my parents certainly know, I am a stubborn so and so. <laughs> And in Indian Wells and Miami, I went for Djokovic and Vavrinka on both occasions. And 20 cups of coffee, 10 cups of coffee a day. And I stuck with Stan for yep. Monte Carlo. Okay. But I'm sorry, Novak, I didn't go for you this week. 
I, I will certainly be picking you at some other stage <laughs> this year. And he'll be really happy yeah. to know that. Thank you, Barry. I'm, sh I'm sure that <laughs> won't affect his mood with thank, Novak. Thank you. Oh, and the big question now is, Fabio Fanini, does, I'm sure the celebrations will be huge, and, and so they should be this evening, but, but where does he take this from there? Because he had talked at one point about maybe having to take a break after the clay because the form wasn't good and the body was letting him down. There were bits and pieces of bandages popping up all over him. Mm. How does this change things for Fabio Fanini? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Don't try and predict Fanini because because this week he's had strapping on his right arm. He had treatment on his right leg. He's talked about a bad ankle. He had eye drops against Jurich. He's, I, he's I, kept I, the trainers busy. Yeah, I mean, what the hardest part now for Fanini, and I think one of his biggest Achilles heel has been, he, he, generally, tennis players are perfectionists. And when you play a great performance, it's being able to come back the next day and go again, but not to think when you step on court, I had divine right to play as well as I did in the previous round. Now, of course, Fanini, he has no divine right to go turn up at Barcelona or turn at Madrid and say, well, I'm just going to play like I did in Monte Carlo and everything's just going to happen. You need to start, you need to get back to business, you need to continue to work hard. If he has that same mindset, as he was able to do at the beginning of the week when he wasn't necessarily playing his best tennis, as you highlighted, Gigi had lost four matches in a row on the clay court season, then there's no reason why Fanini can't, well, his talent, he should be in the top ten. I mean, I don't often like to use the word should. But I don't think many people would disagree with what Fanini, in terms of his shot making, he's definitely top 10 quality. What he hasn't, the reason he hasn't been top 10 is because he hasn't had a top 10 mindset over 52 weeks. He has shown this week he has a top 10 mindset. Now what he needs to be able to do is he needs to be able to do it for the duration of 2008. He would be a wonderful addition, wouldn't he, to the ATP finals? He certainly, he certainly would be. He's sitting in a career high of 12, one better than his previous career high ranking. For Dusan Lavic, he leaves here as the new world number 24, coming in as the world number 48. That changes things. He's going to be a seed at Roland Garros. He'd never won five consecutive, he'd never won four consecutive tour level matches until he came in to Monte Carlo. And he's come through against the likes of David Goffa and, and Dominic Team and Daniel Medvedev, who dispatched him Novak Djokovic. He hadn't dropped a set until he got to the final. So disappointment in the immediate aftermath but but what a week and what positives for the serb to take away yeah absolutely and you know it was pretty clear early on in that match against goffin which i commentated on that goffin didn't necessarily play badly i mean Lajevic was superb as he was against dominic team and it's been a long time coming for Lajevic. he's always been a player that i thought was better than his ranking his, but rankings in this sport don't lie. It's how you do over that 52-week period. And, but he's got, he has got to take a lot of, a lot of confidence, a lot of self-belief, the way he was able to, to put in yeah, very, very good performances. But again, like Fanini, that's the hardest part now for Lajevic, isn't it? Because yeah. he, 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 this week, has been the underdog. And they always say it's hard to get there. It's even harder to stay there because now he's going to be hunted. People want to claim that big scalp. You know, he's going to, if he does play Budapest next week, players, he would say, I want to beat Livich. He made the, if he can make the final of the Masters, I can make final of the Masters. That was his first to a final. And the good news is he didn't cut his toe off because he had that <laughs> blister on his toe. And he said in an interview ahead of the final, I'm going to cut that toe off if it means I can play in the final. Toe was not cut off, did play in the final, played really well, but he was up against a, a Fabio Fanini that meant business. But as I say, both 
career highs for them both to take away. It was a first meeting between the two, but it is Fabio Fernini who reigns supreme at the Monte Carlo Country Club, the champion in Monte Carlo in 2019. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. What we'd like to do now is bring you some of the best bits from our week in Monte Carlo. Now, it's courtesy of Seb Lozier, who's been speaking to the great and good. And very shortly, we will hear from today's beaten finalist, Dusan Lavic. But we're starting with a man who knows Fabio Fanini very well. He's followed him for many, many a year. It's Italian journalist Umbaldo Scanagata. Well, I can tell you that uh, the most difficult thing to understand his mind is because even himself doesn't know his mind. So he knows that that is, uh, is, 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 it is his biggest problem. I mean, uh, in terms of match uh, tennis game, uh, he's fantastic. He has a great acceleration, great speed with the foot. Uh, he moves incredibly well. He, he is a, a complete player because he plays at the net. He's a good doubles player, much better than many other who, who plays just singles. Uh, he won uh, one slam with Bolelli at the Australian Open. So it's, uh, he, he, he has a very good record in Davis Cup. So he plays well when he plays with the for the Italian flag, uh, he gets excited because everyone is supporting him. But he, he, you saw the other day against Rublev, he was playing or, uh, terrible, and then suddenly he, st he started to play magnificently. So, how to describe why what happens on his head? I mean, he's married to Flavia Pennetta, uh, and she's a very wise woman. She has always been very clever on court. Uh, she has always been very. Uh, not just uh, uh, polite, but also very consistent, very and uh, and uh, and she was always uh, thinking about how to strategically play the opponent. Uh, and uh, while Fabio goes on the court, uh, you never he, he doesn't know how he's going to perform. Then we must say that he had some honestly some physical problems that didn't help because he had a problem to an ankle since at least two years recently. He had a problem to an elbow. So that also, uh, let's say that something, even a mosquito that flies in front of him may distract him. And it's a bit like Macero at the, the old times. Macero could see a photographer uh, clicking from one corner of the Roland Garros and get distracted uh, and, and, and losing maybe a match that he could have won. Uh, so there are players who are able to concentrate incredibly well. And there are players who are not. And Fognini belongs to the second category, like Mekero. Uh, of course, Mekero has been of another level. Mekero has been number one in the world, won eight slams, and Fognini, unfortunately, didn't have the same kind of scores. But he, still, he was uh, uh, number 13 in the... He has been number 13 in the world, and uh, he's by far the best Italian since the times of Panatta uh, and Barazzuti in the 70s. So, uh, you know, those who criticize him, uh, they criticize him more for the way he behaves, for the way maybe he walks. He seems uh, uh, a Western uh, walking of someone coming off a horse, you know, and the John Wayne of the of, of the tennis courts. But uh, and he may look arrogant. Then everyone who knows him outside of the court says that he's a nice guy, that they like to have fun with him, he has a good relationship with, uh, with all the players of his age. He is born in the same month, uh, practically, of Murray and Djokovic. 
and uh, of course uh, they did uh, different results uh, compared to him but uh, to be number 13 uh, in a world of uh, um, a sport which has uh, uh, millions of players <laughs> i mean it's not bad <laughs> not too bad as uh, novak djokovic would say talking to me and to some others not too bad Ubaldo, thank you very much and enjoy the rest of the event. Okay, thank you to you, thanks to the ATP and uh, good job, you're doing a great job. I think uh, you're helping the tennis to improve, increase uh, popularity and I hope the three Italians will do, do, will do the same. Grazie mille. Ciao. I've beat uh, Del Potro last year and um, uh, Dimitrov um, in Beijing, so... It's coming in the right moment. I, I, I've been struggling a little bit in some weeks this year, and uh, right now I'm on the right track again. Yeah, I'll, I'll come on to the form this year, but first of all, why do you think it is that it's taken so long to, you know, to, to really reach this level, a career high this year? Yeah, well, um, first of all, I, I, the last two, two and a half years, I've been working with Jose, who, who, who is one of the best coaches, I'm th I think, on the ATP Tour. And this, is the, this was the key change to finally uh, work on the right things in my tennis and to finally believe that I can do this. And obviously, if he, he believes that I can do it, I, I, I got to believe myself. And, and I started believing. So that's, that's the biggest change, I would say, in my game. And it seemed like you had a big breakthrough tournament in Madrid last year. That, that was a, a really strong tournament for you. Yeah, I mean, I've played great in Madrid coming from qualies, um, coming from the week before where I didn't perform so well. So I just started playing qualies from day one. I was playing great and uh, there was no doubt that it's going to be a good tournament. And even though I had three tough matches, I, I've played the whole week, the whole seven days really good. And I I enjoy it there as well. And it's good that these, these victories are coming in a big events like this, which even means more. You mentioned earlier that the results have been tough to come by this this season a little bit. How do you deal with that when you when you hit a, a tough spell? You know, where, when wins aren't yeah. that easy to come by. I mean, uh, at the end, this is our job, and I had some personal issues aside, which maybe were affecting me, or you know, was tough to deal with. But um, everything is fine on that on that stage right now, and. At the end, you gotta go out there and do your work. And sometimes, if you're not really 100% on that, then these weeks come. And um, I had like five or six tournaments in a row where I lost first round. And I was just telling myself, I mean, it cannot get worse than this. I can lose again, and I can lose again. But at the end of the day, it's just a loss. So you gotta dig in and start working hard, as as the way it is. And doesn't matter if you win or lose. You gotta keep working hard. And then at the end, this will turn. And Finally, it's turning. You're one of four Serbs, I believe, in the top 100 at the moment. But there's also, there's other names, you know, Janko's coming back, Filip Krijanovic. Such a small country to have such a, a, a large number of players playing such good tennis. How do you explain that? Yeah, it's only 7 million of us. It's like uh, New York, right? But, I mean, um, the, the older guys made a path for us, for younger generations, and now it's coming up. And I think it's great. Finally, you can hear Serbian, Croatian, Bosnian, Slovenian everywhere on the locker rooms. And it don't feel strange like before when, I mean, the guys were telling me like 20 years ago you couldn't hear it. So now you hear it on every step and it's finally feeling a little bit like home. You know, you're far from home, but again, you can speak your own language. You can hang out with your, with the, your friends from your country. And it's great. It's great for the country to have so many young players coming up. Like we could see Mio Mir, incredible story with, with Jere. And, you know, uh, we are welcoming them to the tour and to, to, to hang out with us. And I think it's great to, 
to have more of them coming up. And all the other Serbian guys, they, they all play on the backhand side, almost carbon copy, this Serbian backhand, yeah. two double-handed. Double yeah. And you're the only one who bucks the trend. How did that happen? Yeah, i got to go through my ancestry to see if there is some Spaniards there, right? But um, no, the first time I picked up a racket, my coach told me you're playing one hand backhand and he stayed on that. So uh, it's working great for me. I like the one hand. I, I don't think it, even I could hit two balls with the double hander right now. So I'm happy with, with the way it is. One more thing I wanted to ask you about. Your coffee shop yeah. in Belgrade. Tell me about that. Well, yeah, it's been already a couple of years and uh, it's just in, in the building where I live. So it's really, really handy. Uh, I, I wake up, I go for a coffee and and it's called the coffee lab so it's a little bit like we have all this Erlen Myers I don't know if it's an English word but like this chemical glasses for the smoothies and it's a little bit like a nerdy cafe but um, I'm enjoying to spend my time there and it's it's more of a hobby than any any business idea but maybe when I retire it will be something or maybe we could brand the ATP tour with the coffee lab and everybody could have in the player lounge uh, my coffee it would be great all the best thank you thank you thank you you're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. It is always a great pleasure talking with Daniel Medvedev. Daniel, great week so far in Monte Carlo. You've been on tour for however many years now, five years. Um, you've doubled your number of ATP tour wins on clay. You know, I, I have I, I have always loved playing on clay before. Uh, and I think I, I was really unlucky last two years. I was always getting injuries in the start of the clay season or just before it, so I couldn't really prepare it. Uh, and now I'm feeling good, healthy, and uh, ready to, to make some damage on clay, but let's see how it will go later. Absolutely. Um, you're world number 14 at the moment. We last spoke in Paris, I think. Your ranking was charting a, a very good upward curve, but the fact that you've got there so quickly, um, how do you feel about your game at the moment and, and the way it's developing? No, I feel quite confident about my game, and uh, I feel that I have uh, I have the consistency because uh, I saw not long ago some stats that uh, before I lost to to Barankis in Dubai, it was like almost six months or eight months when I didn't lose to anybody outside the top thirty, which is a great achievement. At the same time, I didn't have a. Uh, this last step to beat uh, to start beating the guys out of the top 10 so that's going to be the next step yeah and mentally psychologically I know you've been doing a lot of work on on that side of the game can you can you talk to us about the work you've been doing with a psychologist oh well the most important is uh, what I say to anybody of my team is well I trust you guys if I don't trust you we won't work together and uh, this is normal this is how life is but uh, I trust you, so you decide what we need to do to uh, to make me a better player, maybe a better person also. Uh, and so far, it has been working. So there is nothing, you know, really specific. It's not to to not break a racket or to to not you know, scream on the empire. It's just what you need to do at the at the moment to uh, to make your game better. Because we were talking in, in Paris, uh, which literally, what, five months ago, yeah. and you, you were saying that previously the anger had sort of burnt inside and it was difficult to control at times. Do you feel now on court more prepared, more able to control that? I still have it sometimes. I don't know, in, in fact, I don't know what it depends on. And I think it's not only me. Sometimes you just go out on the court, you miss one ball and you get so frustrated, You wanna, you just want to leave the court kind of. 
and uh, sometimes you can do 10 mistakes in a row and you're like it's okay it's, it's gonna pass try your best to uh, to put the ball in the court try your best to win the match and that's the best mentality of course which doesn't happen still all the matches for me but I think I have improved b- big time to uh, to have most of my matches in this sort of mentality and when you're not playing tennis you you mentioned before you know even as a as a person has it has it changed you just the way you're looking at things yeah i think uh last year i have changed a lot of things in my life and uh i have changed the vision of my life i started actually to think more about me than the others uh at the same time well i need to keep uh to keep something of it because that's a kind part of me but uh, I started to be more competitive thinking more about me uh, talking not about tennis and uh, that helped me a lot on the court and we're here in Monte Carlo you must feel at home now you, you base yourself here um, lots of hitting partners I, I imagine How, what's it like li- living here? Uh, it's cool but at the same time uh, I practice in Cannes so <laughs> a lot of days I, I, I'm just doing the, you know I'm waking up at 6 to to go to practice I do the road and I come back at nine so uh, it's not the same than to just spend a day off in Monaco uh, but I, I love it here it's uh, it's it's small it's nice everything is easy it just the parkings are tough yeah well I was going to ask do, do you walk in do you scoot in do you drive in no I don't have a scooter and I, I, I love cars and I have my car that I love so uh, I love to drive and I take every moment I can because, well, uh, as a tennis player, you don't have a lot of time during the year to do it. So even if, if I have like two kilometers, I won't, uh, I won't be walking. <laughs> well, with Nicolas Massou, former world number nine, Olympic champion, doubles Grand Slam winner, and now, of course, coach of Dominic team. Um, Nicola, first of all, tell me how you're enjoying coaching Dominic. Well, first of all, I'm very happy because uh, uh, besides that uh, Dominic is a great player, he's a great person, so I'm very ha- uh, happy to help him. We have a good practice here in Monte Carlo. We have, we have an amazing moment in the last uh, four or five weeks. He won his first uh, Master Series event in Indian Wells. He plays so good. So I'm happy to help him to, to play his best tennis. Uh, and also that they, they believe that I can do something good for him. So we know each other for two months now and we have a good relationship and uh, we're enjoying to work together. So we're looking forward to do good clay court season and uh, we are prepared for that. How did it come about? How did the, the collaboration come about? Well, I was in uh, Salzburg for Davis Cup, uh, Chile against Austria. Uh, Dominic didn't play because he was sick. So, uh, Gunther, uh, the coach of him of his whole life, called me because I was there in Salzburg, so we started to speak. And then uh, they invited me to go to Buenos Aires for the ATP. So I live so close to Buenos Aires. I live in Santiago, so one-hour flight. So I arrived there to, to know all the team. And uh, it was an amazing moment because uh, I was in South America. I used to live in Argentina. Then we went to Rio de Janeiro, and then after two, three weeks, uh, we won the Indian Wells tournament. So it was so fast, so amazing because uh, he was coming from a difficult start of the year, and he played his best tennis in Indian Wells on hard court, and uh, the results come so fast. And uh, I think that we feel good together. I try to pass all my experience in the tour for 17, 18 years. I think that uh, when I was playing, I have similar game to Dominic also. I mean, 
kind of play, so I understand how he plays, I understand what he wants, and also we have a great team. I, I put in the team a physical trainer also, Douglas Cordero from Cuba, who lives in Miami, he was my physical trainer for the last two years of my career, so he also joined the team in, in Indian Wells. Also, Alex, the physio of the Dominic, is working with him three years, so we make a good team. Also, the family support him a lot, and uh, because all the people think about only the results sometimes, uh, if he's playing good or he's playing bad, or the rankings and all that things. But also, for me, it's so important about the person, about the family, about everything, and they support me all the time. They give me the confidence to work with Dominic, and I have a, a, a motivation to help him to to do his best, and I think that he's uh, in a good moment. Uh, he enjoyed to play this tournament on clay, but uh, I think he can play everywhere, and I will do my best to, to help him. You mentioned the person. He seems to have a very strong character. We've seen him back at home, and he's got strong roots back in Austria. How important is that, that he knows very much where he comes from and he knows everyone back home? Yeah, the good thing that all the people talk good things about him. He's a gentleman, he's a very nice guy, I mean, uh, respectful all the time. And uh, it's so easy to work with him. Huh? Uh, and it's unbelievable how he practices. He gives everything, like, all the time, 100%. For a coach to work with a guy like Dominic is so easy. Uh, if you say something to him, he do it and better and better. He have the talent to do so fast. I mean, for example, in Rio, he was not in his best physical uh, moment because he was sick before. And in two and a half weeks, he start to play unbelievable, and then he won Indian Wells. He have the, he have the talent to do that. I mean, uh, he's 25 years old, and I think that he can improve many things. And uh, I'm looking forward for that. I think that. He's um, a great player and he can play everywhere. You mentioned he won Indian Wells. It was an incredible performance, not just result. Were you surprised it, it, that it came so soon? Surprised that, for example, if he can do that, not. Because he can play everywhere for me. He can play on hardcore, he can play on clay. Maybe surprised because he was not in his best uh, physical moment two and a half weeks before. Uh, and uh, we were hoping that arrived close to 80, 90 percent to Indian Wells, because he was sick. He was like uh, uh, didn't practice for many days during the, the 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 beginning of the year. So he changed from in 20 days so much. I mean, it's not so easy to arrive like with some uh, physical problems and then like in 15 days or 20 days win a Master Series on hardcore to beat uh, Roger Federer, the best player for the history of tennis, in the final. So everything was amazing. And I think that for him, uh, it's very important to arrive to this part of the year in the clay season that he defend a lot of points, like more calm. That if you win a Master Series, that you believe that you can play everywhere. And now all the people saw that he can play also and so good on hard courts. I was going to ask you, I mean, the fact that he's arriving on clay... Does it, is it almost like the pressure is off a little bit now that he's won that first Masters 1000? Yeah, I think that he defends a lot of points. I mean, finals in French Open, finals in Madrid, quarters here, quarters in, in Barcelona, champion in Lyon. I mean, so many points. I think he's the third player with more points to defend. But I mean, no, uh, uh, these kind of players, they are used to it. 
Uh, all the players uh, had the pressure to defend points sometimes, but I think Dominic is prepared for that. But of course, it helps that in the hardcore season of uh, in, in America, he won a Master Series because it's 1,000 points. You arrive to the clay court season like more calm, uh, and I think that uh, he's playing his best tennis now. It was fascinating watching him practice next door to Rafael Nadal yeah. the other day. I mean, the, the obvious question that I've got to ask you, do you think he can now become the main rival to Rafa on clay? I think that there are a few players that uh, have the chance one day to, to win French Open. Uh, Rafa, what he's doing, what he does, amazing. I mean, it's, uh, to win 11 times uh, French Open, 11 times Monte Carlo, I don't think that uh, I'm going to see a player like close to him on clay. Uh, and also it's an uh, unbelievable mentality. It's, uh, if some kids wants to be, uh, I mean, any sports wants to be like one day professional, they have to, be, to believe and see this guy like Nadal. It's amazing what he's doing. Uh, and I think in the future, Dominic is the, one of the, the uh, the players that have the chance to win one French Open or maybe more or some tournaments. It's, I mean, he made two semi-finals in French Open, one final, and uh, he beat a few times in a long clay. So I think that he gives a lot of confidence that for the future that one day he can win the French Open. And you said before how, how little time really you've been with Dominic already. There's a little while, obviously, before Roland Garros, a few tournaments still. Where do you think Dominic can still improve, even in that space of time? How, how do you think you can really fine-tune him before the French Open? Well, in, 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 for example, in the hardcore season, we, we change small things that make big difference. But also on clay, I mean, he makes unbelievable uh, tournaments on clay. Uh, maybe in the last uh, three, four years... He's in the top three in results in clay. So we don't need to change too much. I hope that he continues like this. And, of course, we want to win one tournament this year. Uh, all these tournaments, amazing uh, preparation for the French Open. I mean, not only preparation. I mean, these tournaments are so nice, uh, so, so difficult to win. Uh, amazing tournaments. So, but I think that he's playing his best tennis now. We improve uh, some things on clay also. And it's good for me that I can practice with him also because I know how the ball is coming. Uh, we practice together. Uh, many of the players that are now on tour, I play with them. So I know, for example, for example in, in, in Indian Wells, he played against Karlovic and Federer that I played with them many times. So it's funny because uh, I can say to Dominic, uh, listen, when I used to play, I played with these guys. Uh, this one works, this not. So it's funny. Just being there, you know, again, places like this in, in Monte Carlo, is it bringing all the memories flooding back for you too? Yes, of course. At the first two years, I was like a little bit tired of traveling. That's why I stay a little bit more home. And then I decided to be Davis Cup captain because uh, it's not too many weeks a year. But then I start to miss it a lot. After the second year, I start to, to follow the tour, the results. I was traveling a little bit to help these guys of the, of the Davis Cup team in some Miami, for example, New York. I traveled, but like a spectator and help, of course, a little bit the players. 
But then I start to like it again, to travel, and now it's my life. I think that here is where I feel more confidence, here is where I feel more happy, and now I am in the different corner, but I will try to help Dominic to, to play his best tennis. Uh, I'm not running anymore on the court, but I'm in the corner and I, I feel that I play the matches with him. I think that's my, the difference. Uh, I, sorry, uh, I think that's the, it's very important for me that Dominic feels that there's a person outside who is playing the match with him. If he wins, I'm happy. If he loses, I'm sad. So I'm all the time trying to, to do my best. I tell you, I think that uh, I have the energy, I have the motivation to, to, to do this. And I hope that uh, I'm healthy for many years to, to live this life because I like it. I feel confident here. I have so many good friends, the best memories, and this is my life. So I will try to, to do my best. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Well, it's always a pleasure talking with Pierre-Hugues Herbert. Um, but Pierre-Hugues, I think this is the first time we've spoken with you in your guise as a singles player rather than as a doubles player. So we'll talk about that. But first of all, I know the first question that you got asked in the, in the press conference there was about Notre Dame dreadful what happened yesterday first of all just give me um, an idea of how it's hit you and all the French players well all the players in fact yeah I think it's uh, for sure it, it hit all the French people and maybe also worldwide because yeah the Notre Dame Cathedral is just uh, emblematic and just uh, wonderful so uh, when you arrive in Paris you just uh, admire the beauty of uh, of Notre Dame and and seeing it on fire was just a shock for me yesterday evening and um, yeah I was happy to to be able to to share maybe this uh, at the end of the match and uh, and and give a little um, message to <laughs> to the people maybe didn't help that much but uh, it um, affected me a little bit uh, yesterday evening. Yeah, you mentioned that you you made a gesture at the end of the match. You you won against Fernando Vadasco today and let's talk about that because. You've changed your mindset a little bit this season. You've you've chosen to play more singles, and that's exactly the kind of match that maybe you weren't winning before, isn't it? Yes, yes. I I took some big decisions after um, after winning the Australian Open with uh, with Nico. Uh, not an easy one, but uh, I wanted to to give me a, a big chance in uh, in singles uh, for a short time and. Uh, that's why I, I put a little bit more uh, singles uh, forward, and uh, yeah, it's, I'm happy that uh, this win comes uh, today, and uh, I hope uh, many more are coming. The fact that the Australian Open was the career Grand Slam doubles done with with Nico that must have helped your decision. But was it? Talk to me about that conversation with him. It must have been a horrible conversation to have. Yes, it was. It was. It was something I was thinking about since um, I would say Roland Garros 2019. When uh, when I played well, also there in singles, and when um, your day off being uh, um, on court for two and a half hours, try to to win a doubles match that is never easy because guys are just playing really good. Uh, I um, I had this in mind a little bit. Maybe at one point I should try to play only singles. And um, yes, um, the, to to be able to to win Australian Open and uh, to complete the career Grand Slam with Nico uh, maybe accelerated a little bit the things because I thought yeah we we did 
we did almost everything in doubles. I want to try my best in singles now. And that conversation was horrible. I had to <laughs> call him maybe three days because we have a good re relationship. We're uh, really honest to each other. And uh, I think this is uh, something really important with uh, when you are with a person. And and I couldn't keep it by for myself. Uh, I was thinking about it a lot. And I took my decisions and uh, my decision. And and I I spoke to him three days after we won. And so it was uh, was a hard call, but uh, like I said, I think the honesty is uh, the most important. I think he understood my choice. I don't. Uh, it doesn't help me help him that much uh, for uh, the period that is coming. But uh, he's. I know he's strong, and he's gonna find a really good partner and do his best uh, for this time. And our story is not uh, ending at that point because uh, we would like to. Yeah, to continue playing and then try to maybe bring a, a medal for France in uh, 2020. Yeah, the Olympics, of course, is on the horizon as well. Um, and that's good to hear that you're going to do that. You're working with a couple of coaches at the moment, Benjamin Ballaret and also Fabrice Santoro, who ironically, of course, was a great doubles player as well. Um, what are they each bringing to your game while you're focusing on singles? They bring a... I'm really happy about my team right now. Um, and uh, we did some great uh, work for the la for the past season, and uh, for sure um, they are give giving me. Th they were both players. Uh, um, Benjamin, he was around 200 in the world, and uh, Fabrice had the career everybody knows. Uh, so um, they have both, um, yeah, different uh, views of my game, but they are sharing their view and and trying to to get me. To make me better, a better player, and um, and they did for the for the last year. So because I feel it on court. How has it changed the way you train? I think with um, Fabrice, we worked on uh, a lot on my uh, on my game and on my uh, feet and my um, and to be more uh, precise, to be uh, more uh, stable, and uh, so we worked a lot uh, with feeding, feeding the ball. Mm -hmm. And we tried to to find some solutions. And what I like with Fabrice and uh, and Benjamin is that they are open. They are we're trying new things. We're yeah, we're ju we're we're just trying to be better. To they're trying to make me better. And um, and we're not uh, scared of uh, trying new things. And um, that's what I like with uh, with them. And away from the court, off the tennis court, it must have created a lot of noise as well. Has there been more media? And you know, have you have you had to to, to think about things more off the court? Because of Fabrice as a coach? Well, because of doing the singles. Doing the singles? That's um, okay. I feel I, I feel a little bit more pressure on myself because when you take such a decision, I mean, it's a, it's a risky decision. It would, it, would it would have been easier for me to continue playing doubles, singles and everything. So I put myself in a, in a tough situation. I'm... A, I'm longing for uh, for good results, and um, so yes, maybe a little bit more stressful, but uh, it's good. It's challenging. And in terms of the aims immediately, I guess you you want to have a good French Open, a good clay court swing, and there's going to be a bit of pressure, though, isn't there, at the French Open, only playing singles? Yes, it can can be can be yes, because it's going to be tough uh, for the moment. I'm not going to be seeded. I can play against a really good guy, but. I mean, I wanna, I wanna give everything. I wanna, I don't want him to have uh, any regrets. Uh, so uh, that's why I, yeah, I'm, I took that decision, and uh, I know why I took it. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna, gonna try my best.
here up in the player dining with uh, Robin Hasse. Robin, it's uh, about a year, I think, since we last spoke. I think it was Rome last year we had a good chat. So thanks very much for talking with us again on ATP Tennis Radio. Now, I've been given the first question, very important, by the commentators from Tennis TV. Something about the sketch you did at the players' party? T- tell us about this. Apparently it went down a storm. Ah, well, uh, then I actually have to ask which sketch, because I did four of them. Okay, well, let's talk about them all. <laughs> uh, well, the, this year I, uh, I, I started the show with a, well, a, a story-slash-joke uh, that I thought maybe a, a few people would know it, but actually no one, uh, no one did, and uh, it was a, a good start of the show. Uh, I'm glad that everyone had a good laugh and... Uh, and had a yeah, I think the the vibe in the in the room was good after that, and and then uh, the others uh, did uh, some good sketches as well. So come on, what is your sketch? Tell us a bit more about it. Well, the the joke is a little bit uh, too long to tell, um, and it's also uh, uh, maybe for a little bit uh, younger children not uh, the right joke to tell. Uh, the other sketches we did a good one actually my partner and I uh, for this week uh, Wesley uh, Kolhoff uh, and myself we did uh, a sketch with uh, about Novak Djokovic and his coach Vida um, and, and that was fun because we didn't say anything at all it was just about the music and we used music and the lyrics to, uh, yeah, to, to show their breakup but then actually coming back together. So that was uh, quite a good sketch. <laughs> it sounds very funny. Because you're a bit of an entertainer. I mean, even on the court, the through the legs, you know, shots and everything. Is that, is that part of you? You know, do you, do you like to put on a show? Yeah, I like to, to, to put on a show, uh, for sure. Uh, I think uh, uh, in, uh, in my younger years, I did it uh, quite a lot. Uh, I had... Uh, Actually, a lot of people telling me, yeah, I should should not waste my energy on that. Also, uh, I always showed my uh, emotions on court, uh, negative, but also uh, positives. Um, but they always, uh, there were a few people uh, that actually told me, well, uh, keep it more for yourself, uh, which ended up me being a little bit actually frustrated. So in the end, I didn't show my positive emotions anymore, but only the negative ones. So... Um, I think in the last uh, couple of years I, I got that a little bit back that I have that entertainment factor again and that I also am more positive on court so I hope uh, I can I can get that feeling even better. Did you ever do player impersonations like Novak? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, uh, but when I do them, uh, I, and I did them on stage in the Monte Carlo show as well, uh, I didn't do them uh, on a tennis court but uh, how they are uh, in the locker room or uh, if they have a funny walk or, or something like that. And that was uh, always a, a good hit as well. Uh, I, I, I think everyone uh, will know my impression of Fabio Fonini. Uh, that was uh, one of the best ones uh, that I believe I did, yeah. Fantastic. Well, this chat has gone off on a little bit of a tangent already. Let me ask you about something which is kind of in the game because of Nick Kyrgios, underarm serve. Where do you stand on the underarm serve? Because some people love it, some people hate it. Um, well, I, I, last year I, I played one myself. I, I played uh, Peter Goyovchik. And uh, first game he, he, he started to serve and winner after winner. Uh, second game I hit first serves, second serves, big shots, winner after winner. Third game he hits winner after winner. So I'm three love down and actually 40 love down. So he has three break points. And I have no idea what to do. So I play an underhand serve. And then I play a, he comes to the net. I play a good passing shot. And from that moment, the whole match changed because I, I, I won 6-4, 6-4. Maybe if I don't, I lose 6-1 and, and maybe I lose the match. Um, 
What I don't understand, uh, I, I, of course, everyone can have their opinion, but what I don't understand if the opinion is uh, that it's uh, disrespectful. Uh, that that I don't see because um, is a drop shot disrespectful? Is a lob disrespectful? Is a um, I, I think if you if you do it in a way that it's a tactical play, it can never be disrespectful because it's actually a way to win. Um, if you of course uh, play a drop shot, for example, and the guy hits a drop shot back, and you purposely try to hit him, okay, that's a different story. But but the underhand serve itself, I think it's a smart play, um, and it could have could be used by, for example, a John Isner or a Kalovic, probably even more because. Uh, because they can win points with that. When we spoke last, um, you were talking about managing your body and having to do that. I mean, you're young, you're only 32, but uh, you're playing singles and doubles still. You'd have thought you'd just do one or the other if you're managing your body. Do you actually find that playing more tennis uh, keeps it sort of nice and fluid and oiling the machine? Uh, not really, <laughs> uh, but I just like to, I like to play and I like doubles. Um, uh, but of course I have to make choices uh, so I don't play um, everywhere doubles but, but around 80% I'm actually trying to play um, but uh, yeah it depends also on the rankings and of course and uh, this week I'm actually only playing doubles that, w- that was actually uh, because I didn't sign for qualies that was maybe not a smart move but uh, uh, I guess it happens uh, sometimes you just forget uh, and that it only happened to me uh, twice in my career so, so that's okay but uh, yeah, luckily I, uh, I made up my mind to play doubles here because we were in the semis and, uh, and looking good for us. So, sorry, you, you've basically forgot to sign for qualies because you thought you'd qualify through the ranking? Or, how, or were you literally just... Well, um, uh, of course I entered for the main draw. Um, yeah. And then on the day that I had to sign for qualies, I uh, sent an email uh, to the tournament director of Monte Carlo asking for a wild card. And in my head, I thought, okay, I did everything I had to do. Um, I even asked for a wildcard, which I normally not do. Um, so maybe I get lucky. But then I realized a few days later, well, I didn't sign. So that was a, a, a bit of a, yeah, nah, not a smart move, let's say it like that. I want to ask you about the court that you have named after you in Holland. There aren't many people, let's face it, who have a court named after them. I think Rafael Nadal's probably one. You're, you're another. That must be quite special. I know it's a tournament that you've won as well, a challenger tournament. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the club where I grew up uh, from six to, well, I still play there once in a while. So, um, yeah, it's nice that uh, at a certain moment they decided, I think a few years ago, to, to give a few names uh, or a few courts uh, some names. And one of them is actually Richard Krajcik, who also grew up on that court uh, or that club, I have to say. And uh, one court, uh, yeah, they decided to already give uh, a sign to me, and uh, that's very special. Uh, it's something I'm very proud of, and uh, um, and and yeah, uh, as you said, it's maybe actually it doesn't happen as as much to players. So uh, once again, something I'm proud of. And that's a challenger tournament. You've you've played a challenger tournament this year. I'm um, in singles, but and you won the doubles at that tournament in France. Are you still, I mean, it's, it's a big call, isn't it? When you're so experienced as you, you've been so high to go back and play challengers. Is that something that you're, you're willing to do, you want to do? Oh, I don't mind to play challengers. I, 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 I played that one because I wanted to have a few matches uh, uh, on clay. Well, unfortunately, I lost first round uh, uh, in singles. But in the end, the, the doubles helped me. And uh, um, also, again, for the body to get used to the, to the clay. 
Um, but uh, no, I don't mind to play challenges at all. I think it maybe it's a different if you go back one more step. Uh, maybe if you're injured for a year and you have to really come back, that's going to be tough. But the challengers are well organized. Most of them, of course, you always have uh, one or two that uh, that maybe you don't like. But that's uh, that's in every every job uh, the case. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't mind, and this was a great uh, event uh, organized by. Uh, uh, Morato Glue and uh, and it was actually also nice to see the whole academy and how they do it and uh, yeah it was uh, was good. I know you love the clay. I think you have it down as your favourite surface. Um, special time of year, the European Clay Court Swing. Do you have a favourite tournament? Uh, oh, there's so many that are, so many that are nice. Uh, but if I if I uh, maybe have to 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 take one, it's maybe Rome. Uh, just uh, the way it looks, uh, the fans, uh, the Italian fans are—I uh, mean it in a very the best way, but they are crazy, uh, but in a, in a good way, and it's 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 very nice. I always, uh, actually, when I started playing tennis, the futures and challengers, I always went to Italy, so they also quite know me pretty good. They followed me through my career, and they often cheer for me, so that's nice. But also like the the center court, but also the Piedrangeli court. It's it's just beautiful, and uh, and then uh, I don't even have to talk about the food and the weather. It's always great. You signed up for that one. I I did. I made sure. And just finally, Robin, I have to ask you about the French. I think you've not gone past the round of. 64 or 32 yeah, it, it's for someone who's enjoyed so much success on clay I'm sure you won't mind me saying that I'm sure you'd love to go you know one more than you've done uh, throughout your career yeah no for sure um, of course you I mean uh, it's uh, it's all about uh, draws sometimes uh, at the beginning of my career I had some tough draws um, but I, I missed some chances good chances where I played well uh, like against Almagro, the year he made quarterfinals, I was two sets uh, to one up, 4-3, 40-30, easy volley. Um, yeah, if I make that volley, you never know, maybe you win 6-3 or 6-4 and, uh, and, and maybe you can go on. Um, but uh, yeah, also a few times that uh, I had the chance maybe that I played good, but I only played good in the first round. Um, uh, and then played a, a little bit disappointing second round. It's the way it goes. Um, yeah, I, I, I just uh, keep doing my best and hopefully uh, I can make it uh, further than the second round uh, before I stop uh, playing tennis. We'll be watching you all the way. Robin, thank you. Thank you. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Well, we're here with... Tony Nadal, um, uncle and of course former coach of the great Rafael Nadal and um, outside the academy stand, Tony, so let's talk about that first. Um, you're, you're director of the Rafael Nadal Academy. How's the academy going? Oh, the academy is going really good. We are very, very happy. Uh, we opened three years ago and, uh, okay, everything goes uh, good. Uh, we start with, uh, I don't remember very well, but uh, with 70 boys and girls, and now we, we have more than 130. In these uh, years, I think our youngs uh, uh, have improved a lot. Uh, we have, at the moment, I think uh, 10 people who play Futures and uh, uh, girls and uh, women they have points. 
they arrived without points and now they have. Then uh, we have two good players, uh, Jaime Munar and Casper uh, Ruth. Casper Ruth arrived uh, when he was arrived last year, when he was uh, I don't remember well, 150. Now he's uh, 68, I think, in the world. Jaime Munar arrived two years ago, and he was to the player 290. Now he is the uh, 60 in the world. Then we are really happy, but we don't stop with this because we want to to try that many young players of our academy goes good and uh, improve a lot. So the next question, how are you doing it? What's the secret? I see your motto is lessons in life, performance in tennis. I've spoke with them both in Madrid. They both seem hugely humble, impressive guys. They're willing to work hard. Is that the secret, growing the human being as well as the tennis player? For not only for tennis, for every sport, for everything in the life, there are only one secret. It's work. Work hard and think. When you only hit, in ball, hit balls without thinking, it's difficult to improve. It's uh, thinking and uh, work hard. And this is what uh, we try to, to give uh, these uh, experiences to the, the, our youngs. And then is uh, to have confidence. It's uh, not a thing about uh, thinking myself uh, that we are very good. You know, it's a, a thing that we are not enough good, but we will be good. This is, the, in my opinion, the most important thing. Know my real, uh, how I am, but uh, to have the confidence for to be so much better. And is that the same whether people come and live with you full-time and also for the summer camps? Because I see you, you're doing summer camps as well. Always is the same. When the people come in the summer camps, what we try is that, uh, okay, give a a good experience of these youngs. uh, Sometimes they they come for uh, one week, two weeks, and uh, we try that in one uh, in these uh, one or two weeks to give some tips, uh, some, some uh, good, uh, some lessons that uh, they can uh, to work in the rest of the year. And uh, what we try always is that they have good experiences in our academy. And does that include Rafa? I mean, how, how involved is Rafa in the good, academy? Uh, Rafael is totally involved in the academy. He's uh, normal, he's traveling around the world, but when uh, he's in Manacor, he comes every day there. He's uh, sometimes with the kids, he, he plays uh, in the academy, he practices there. Normally he practices with some kids of the academy. He's involved and uh, he knows what happened with uh, the youngs, that, that they are there. Getting himself ready for the for the clay court swing, yes. no doubt. Talk to me about Monte Carlo and Rafa. I mean, it's just a magical place for him, isn't it? What what is it about this tournament that just turns it on in him so Good, much? Uh, I don't know exactly what uh, is in his mind, but I remember when uh, I arrived here for the first time in 2003 
For me, it was a dream to play this tournament. And one of the of my dreams was was that Rafael can win this tournament one year. And we are really happy that he can win uh, 11 times. But okay, it was uh, incredible for me because always I watch it. When I was uh, young, I watched this tournament. I watched uh, Ilina Stase when he won here, Bjornborg, Vilas, many great players, Lendel, Vilander. And then I have seen, I remember the first time that Rafael won, and I thought, okay, Rafael can write his name in this good uh, in the club. Then, okay, after many years, he has won many, many times. He has indeed. Most of the time now, Tony, you watch him on television, I guess. Yes. Um, what, what do you think Carlos Moya has, has done for, for Rafa? Good, I, I think Carlos Moya gives another uh, illusion, another, another view. And uh, good, uh, always Rafa has a very good relationship uh, with Carlos. And I think for him was so good that uh, he can play with him now. Not, uh, I, don't, I don't want to forget uh, the, the other coach, uh, Francis Roche. I think Rafael is very good with both and good, and the results are there. And this one, of course, isn't the only one he's won 11 times, Roland Garros. Barcelona, just talk to me quickly about Barcelona as well, and with it being so close to, to home, this how is, important is that one? OK, for me, Monte Carlo was so good. Barcelona was the, the special tournament. For me too, for Rafael, always was a special tournament because... Is in Barcelona in Conde de Godot, the tournament in that we have always seen in the TV, and uh, we, we are lucky that Rafael won 11 times there. No, is uh, both are special tournaments, Monte Carlo and Barcelona, Madrid too. You must be very proud. Yes, well, I don't know. I don't like to say proud. I, I'm very happy with what uh, Rafael has done in, on uh, the tennis, how he's going all these years, and good. I hope that uh, he can play still, uh, I don't know, maybe five, six years more, and so I can watch in the TV. Thank you, Tony. Okay. And just a little word, if some of those interviews you wanted to hear a bit more, then we do have an exclusives channel on the TuneIn radio website or app, and that's where we store all the interviews from all the Masters, and we're speaking to coaches, we're speaking to tournament organisers, we're speaking to players. They are really fascinating insights. It's the wonderful thing about ATP Tennis Radio. We really do get behind the scenes. So if you enjoyed what you heard just there, then don't forget about our exclusives channel on the TuneIn radio website or app. We move on to Barcelona. For the first time, ATP Tennis Radio is brought Broadcasting a whole week of 500 commentary from start to finish. Uh, the good news is we're not doing predictions because I, for one, need a break. <laughs> My mind was being blown with predictions, especially, Barry, when you see the lineup for Barcelona. It's absolutely insane. Just made a prediction. 
that I'm not going to make a prediction. We've got a great lineup. <laughs> We've got a great lineup. I'm not going to make a prediction, but it, it's everywhere you look. We know that the top 16 get a buy into the second round, but it's it's a sensational lineup for this 500 event. It is a truly astonishing draw when you consider that Shapovalov is ranked 20 in the world. He's seeded nine. You've got obviously Nadal looking to win a 12th Barcelona, and and, it, and again, it's it's a great mix of the established players, such as Nishikori, who's played well in the past, team who will want to get back to, to winning ways. I think it's an important week for team, as it is also for Rafa. But then you've got the next-gen players, Tsitsipas, who last year, that was where he really emerged in the big time. When he, when he had a great run in Barcelona, making the final. Hachanov needs form, Tiafo, Shapovalov, as I mentioned, Ojer Aliassim, Medvedev. He will be smarting after Saturday. It, it's a great gauge next week. I think it's actually a very, very important week. And my prediction? Oh, you're going to make one? Make a prediction. The only prediction I am going to make right. is that the players in the last four are going to be higher ranked than the last four we had in Monte Carlo. It's going to be tougher to win Barcelona. I don't think that's the bravest of predictions. Can I say that? No, oh, you just shot me down. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think a big thing for me, you listen to the voice, by the way, of Barry Cowan, who's part of our commentary team, Barcelona. Not anymore. Is, uh, <laughs> it's not anymore. It's, plane's going the other way now. Um, Sasha Zverev. Yep. Um, do you have an idea as to, to what's going on there? Because it's not the Sasha Zverev that, that we saw last year. It's a different, why is it a different Zverev that we're seeing? I'm really concerned with, with Zverev at the moment. Um, and this starts from the beginning of the year against... Raonich in Australia, where I thought it was an emotionally flat performance, and which was very surprising how he ended in the ATP finals where he was able to, to take care of Federer and Djokovic in the manner that he did. Was that the pressure that he felt? And he, he has looked, you know, I look at his performance this week in Monte Carlo, I felt that it looked like he had the world on his shoulders in that match against Fanini. The second set, which Fanini won 6-1. Yes, Fanini played well, but it didn't look like to me that that Sasha had any oomph. You know, there wasn't a glint in his eye. You know, so often you can tell by body language and you know and he needs to get back, you know, playing with passion. Um I he he had that illness in Indian Wells. And I'm just wondering whether it's a little bit more than that, that actually he's not a hundred, he doesn't feel a hundred percent fit because, you know, at times he looked a little lifeless. We know he's a class act and, and the old saying, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent. We know Zverev will get back to, to a very high level. But in terms of his French Open chances, which ultimately he wants to make that next step in slam, suddenly the best, best run he's had his last eight of, of the Roland Garros last year, he needs to get back to winning ways, otherwise he, he can't be a serious contender for the French. He took a wild card, so he bumped team down to the third seed here, and he's in the same little chunk as, I'm just reading the seeds here, Gregor Dimitrov and Gilles Simon and Daniel Medvedev and former winner in Barcelona, Kay Nishikori and Felix Ogiali seems in. There is a Spaniard you wanted to mention, and it's not mm. the Spaniard people probably think you're about to mention. Yep, and, and actually it's kind of got the dream potential draw because we're talking about Ferrer and what he's contributed to our sport, incredible work ethic. I mean, no, everyone that you would ever hear talk about Ferrer, utmost respect. He's bowing out in a couple of weeks. It'll be a last tournament in Madrid. It's his last Barcelona Open. He's got a wild card. Actually, he is set to play Rafa. 
in the third round. Wouldn't that be nice? He's got Misha Zverev first up, and then the winner of that has Luca Pui, who's in as the 15th seed. So it's by no means straightforward to try and get what would be a dream meeting for David Friend. Raffendel's got the winner of Marius Coppola or Leonardo Mayer. There are some amazing matchups. It's a 500 level tournament. Barry Cowan, part of our team next week. The first time on ATP Tennis Radio on a whole week of 500. Do you want to make a prediction? Do you want to give us a win? I'm not. I just can't. I didn't think we made a prediction. That's not part of our. But you. It's not in your contract, but if you if, oh, if you, you want to if put you, if you if you'd like to give me your what? winner for Barcelona now, we oh, can Nadal. have it. Oh, all right, there we go. <laughs> going out on a limb. He's going out. Barry Cowan's going out on a limb. He's going with the eleven-time <laughs> Barcelona champion. I'm but a then rich again, taker. I went with the eleven-time Monte Carlo <laughs> champion, and that didn't work out that well. If you would like to make a prediction at ATP Tennis Radio, I told you about the Facebook page, the ATP Tour Facebook page. Join ATP Tour fans. But the next time we'll do the big predictions, which is you pick someone one to eight, nine to sixteen, and then someone from the rest of the pack. That is Madrid. So just bide your time, see what happens. See how things shake out over the next week or so and you can get your predictions in for that thank you very much for being with us now barcelona will be with you half an hour before play starts every day so if you're listening to this before play starts on day one that is 10 30 a.m local time don't forget atp tennis radio for the first time in our history a whole week of 500 action from start to finish and what a tournament to begin with headed up by the 11 time champion rafa nadal you can find atp tennis radio in all the usual places during Barcelona, it's on the Barcelona website. Also, atptour.com, tennis TV website or app, smart speakers, tune in radio website or app. Monte Carlo, it's all been about Fabio Fanini, his first Masters 1000 title. He's a Masters champion. Who will be raising the trophy in Barcelona next week? You'll have commentary on ATP Tennis Radio. But thank you very much for your time, and we look forward to having it again soon. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.